So I've mentioned before that uh, last year I had a, a big birthday, one with a zero on the end of it, and my family all pitched in, thank you, thank you, um, a family all pitched in and bought uh, me or bought my wife and I a pizza oven, a wood-fired pizza oven, which I absolutely love. And uh, so we've had a number of nights where we've sort of fired up the pizza oven, have different people around. And every time we do that, every time without fail, somewhere in the night, someone asks the most stupid of pizza oven questions. You know the question. You all know the question I'm talking about, don't you? So do you ever put pineapple on a pizza? You all know that, isn't it? It's the most... It, I mean, of, and I, exp, I, I try and be really kind as I explain to pe people that that pineapple on a pizza is demonic. Uh, and it, and it, just, it just can't happen. Hey, you're with me. It's the truth. Amen. Don't, amen. It, it's, it, it's, it's the truth. There are some people, I sense there are some people who are not quite there yet. So if you're not there with that, let me test you on some other really important questions about food. Um, here's one. Does cheese belong on a taco? Yes. No, 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 no. It's wrong with you people. Cheese never... Sour cream, guacamole, never cheese on a taco. Bacon. Do you cook bacon till it's like really crispy and snaps or do you like bacon so it's got a little bit of, you know... It's got to have a bit of give, doesn't it? Yeah, crispy bacon is just, is just such a waste. That poor... Poor pig gave up its life for that. It shouldn't, it shouldn't, it shouldn't be right that. Um, does the best nachos have beans in it or not? Yes. yes, for beans, absolutely. You've got one right. That's good. That's good. Uh, and and maybe, maybe behind pineapple on a pizza, maybe the most important one, does banana ever belong in fruit salad? No, no, it just makes it go mushy and stewy and, and again, there is, there is weeping and gnashing of teeth in heaven when someone puts banana in a fruit salad. I'm just prophetically telling you that, all right? Right, I'll pray and then we'll close. No, no. Uh, we're journeying through the book of Galatians uh, at the moment. Um, uh, if you've just joined us, um, all of our messages are on uh, YouTube. Um, we upload them there on uh, Apple, uh, Apple Podcasts and on Spotify so you can catch up. But let's recap the story so far in Galatians. Galatians, we call it a book, but it's not a book. It's a letter uh, that Paul wrote to a number of churches, probably a number of tiny churches in a region called Galatia in about 49 AD. Paul had planted those churches. He'd visited the region only a year or two before, shared the good news of Jesus. And as people came to believe in him, they, they sort of organized, he organized them into little churches. And Paul's moved on, but he's heard on the grapevine that other, other people, other teachers have been visiting the churches in Galatia. And they've convinced them, they've convinced them that in order to be Christian, in order to follow Jesus, you've also got to be following the Jewish religious laws and customs. Specifically, you've got to, if you want to be a Christian, if you want to follow Jesus, you've still got to follow all of the Jewish religious days and holidays and festivals throughout the year. You've still got to follow all of the Jewish eating rituals and religions about things that you, you, you can eat and you can't eat and how you have to eat things. That, and most importantly, certainly most importantly, if you're, if you're a guy, you've still got to be circumcised. So don't just say you believe in Jesus. You've got to get the knife out and you've got to go do that thing. 
And Paul, when he hears this, he is frustrated. He is sad and he is dead set angry. He can't believe that people would be teaching this. And more so, he can't believe that those Christians in Galatia would be buying this story and would be going along with that. And so Galatians, what we call Galatians, is the letter that he wrote back to the churches in Galatia to sort of set them straight and to to refocus them on what he believes is the absolute undeniable truth of Jesus. Paul can't believe that the the Galatians would would be swallowing this stuff and would be sort of going back on the truth that he taught them. Uh, Galatians 1, 6, right at the beginning, Paul just gets straight into it. He says, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you. Paul goes on to argue that non-Jews, or as they called anyone who was a non-Jew, Gentiles, um, that, that Gentiles don't need to become Jews in order to believe in Jesus, that anyone can believe in Jesus, that in fact God sees everyone the same. Galatians 3, uh, 28, there's neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all, you are all one in Christ Jesus. Paul argues that, that in fact God sees everyone who believes in him as his child, everyone equally as a, as a child of God. And in a world where, where, uh, where sort of inheritance amongst children was, was a big deal, he's using this imagery to say the inheritance, the, the good things that God wants to give his people, that he's giving that to everyone who believes in him. Everyone has the standing of a child. Galatians 4, uh, 4, 4. God sent his son born of a woman born under the law to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. And verse 7, so you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, you have also been made an heir. And Paul throughout Galatians, he talks repeatedly, repeatedly about the contrast, the contrast between those who are trying to win God's approval by doing stuff, keep the laws and tick the boxes, the contrast between those people and between those who've accepted what Jesus has done for them on the cross. And and he he uses language like the difference between law and grace, law being those who are trying to uphold the rules and grace, those who are following uh, the truth about Jesus. He talks about the difference between the flesh and the spirit. He says the, the flesh is language for sort of us and our humanness and our hard work and effort. And then the spirit is, is the language for what God does in us and what Jesus did for us. He talks about the difference between slavery and freedom. He says that following all of those laws and trying to tick all those boxes, it's like a kind of slavery. It's like you're a slave to that. And he contrasts that to a kind of freedom that comes with believing and following and trusting what Jesus did for us on the cross. And so today we're going to pick up Paul's letter in chapter 5, Galatians chapter 5. If you've got a Bible, open it up. Um, We've said each week that uh, if you've kind of got a printed Bible, there are a few extras at the back if you want to grab one. Um, uh, About three quarters of the way through, half three quarters of the way through, you've got the boys' names, Matthew, Mark and Luke and John. And then you've got the big book of Acts followed by the big book of Romans. And then a couple of big books together of 1 and 2 Corinthians. And then right after 2 Corinthians, you've got four tiny little books all squashed together. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians and Colossians. Galatians is the first one. that is literally only five or six pages long in your whole thick Bible. So um, it can be difficult 
difficult to find. Of course, if you've got a device, uh, which, which most people do, you're just like smiling now because you just opened it up and just <laughs> clicked on Galatians and you're already there. It's, the world's a beautiful thing. So we're going to begin where we left off uh, last week in Galatians chapter 5, verse 13. And Paul's going to shift gears today. Paul's been writing a lot about freedom. Paul wants the, the Galatians to free themselves from a kind of faith that is based on what he calls works, that a kind of faith that is based on trying to do things to please God and trying to tick all the boxes. And instead, he wants them to embrace a kind of freedom that comes from believing in the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus, in believing that in the death and the resurrection of Jesus, everything that we need to do to be right with God has already been done. And so we can live free knowing that there's no more to do. Jesus has already done everything that needs to be done. Last week we read Paul writing in verse 1 of Galatians 5, It's for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. And that's that, idea, that slavery idea. Don't let yourselves be burdened again by a whole list of rules and by a whole lot of expectations that other people might be trying to put onto you. Paul's saying that Christ died to free us from all of those old laws. He's saying that we don't need to, to obey, to kind of religiously obey all of those laws and rules of what we now call our Old Testament, that we are free in Christ. But he's going to switch gears today and say that that, free, that freedom, don't, don't confuse that freedom with the kind of freedom that says you can now just do whatever the heck you want. I'm going to start reading from Galatians 5. Uh, verse 13. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbour as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. So I say, walk by the Spirit. And you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They're in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you're led by the spirit, you're not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, it's a cracking list. Hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. I warn you as I did before that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance. Some of your translations might say patience there. Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. Paul's saying, you're free, but don't use that freedom to go and sin. Use that freedom to voluntarily follow Jesus. Verse 13, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge in the flesh 
rather serve one another humbly in love. Use that freedom to follow the one and only law that Jesus left his followers with, the law to love your neighbour as yourself. That's what verse 14 means when he says the entire law. He means everything you've heard for them, all of those rules, all of those, uh, all of those rules and laws, they can all be fulfilled. They all kind of come to completion by keeping this one command, love your neighbour as yourself. And then Paul goes back to the same two paths in life that he's been talking about. The path of the flesh or of slavery and the path of the spirit or freedom. He says that, that the flesh is controlled by our own desires. That's, and we all know this. That's, that's kind of the, the humanness in us. The, the, you know, I want to do things on my own. I want to control things on my own. I want life the way that I want it to be. And he said that flesh, is, that, that's tied up with all those laws. That's tied up with a kind of living that says, well, you know, if I do this, if I do that, if I tick this box, if I tick that box, then I'll get right with God. But he says that when a person says yes to Jesus, the spirit of Jesus or the Holy Spirit enters that person and gives that person freedom. That person then becomes controlled, not so much by their own desires, but becomes controlled by the Spirit of Jesus. And he says, those two paths, he's been talking a lot in the first four or five uh, chapters. Um, he's been talking a lot about what we think and what we know about God. But he's transitioning now to say, those two paths are not just about what we think. It's not just an idea. It's not just about what we believe. Those two paths affect our behaviour. They impact what we do. He's saying that saying yes to Jesus, saying yes to the Spirit of God in you, isn't about what we think and believe. It's a daily decision that impacts what we do and how we live. Verse 16, so I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit and the spirit, what is contrary to the flesh. Again, he's setting these two things up sort of as opposed to each other. He literally says they're in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you're led by the spirit, you're not under the law. He goes on to say, you can tell someone who's still stuck in the flesh, who's stuck in this way of thinking. He says you can tell it because the acts of the flesh are obvious. And he has that list. They're, they're you can tell someone that it's obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft and such. And he says people who stay stuck in the flesh will never truly take hold of the abundant life that Jesus died to make available to them. That's what he means when he says they will never inherit the kingdom of God. They'll, they'll never really understand and live fully in the life that God has made available to them. He says, but you can also tell someone, you can also tell someone who's living in step with the Spirit of God. He says, because the fruit of the Spirit in your life is love and joy and peace and forbearance and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. He says there's no law against any of that stuff. 
Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. And I think here's where a lot of people get confused when they read this. Because a lot of people read this, and you might have, you might have heard these words before, and sometimes we talk about this as the fruit of the Spirit. And people get confused because sometimes they, they read that list, they read the fruit of the Spirit as if it's a list of things that Christians have to do. Oh, it reminds me, I need to be more kind. I really got to go home and work on my patience. I need to be more joyful. But the fruit of the Spirit isn't a list of things that you do to please God. The fruit of the Spirit is evidence that the Spirit of God is within you. He says, you don't make a tree bear fruit. You don't make apples come on your apple tree. Rather, you look after the tree, you, you water and you prune and you fertilize the tree. And if you do the right thing by the tree, the apples just come, right? They are just evidence that you've got a healthy tree. He says that's what the fruit of the Spirit is. That the fruit of the Spirit is evidence that your life is lived with the Spirit of God. It's evidence that your spiritual tree, so to speak, is alive and healthy and well. Paul doesn't just want people to sort of believe the good news about Jesus. He wants them to live it out. He, want, he wants them to live lives that are, he says, in step with the Spirit of God every day. And he says, when you do that, the fruit of the Spirit will just naturally come out of your life. The fruit of the Spirit isn't a list of stuff that you have to, to, have to try and do. Remember, he spent five chapters telling us that Jesus died to take that list and to tick it off all, you know, to tick it off once and for all. I mean, in Jesus, he spent this, all this time saying, there is no list anymore. Jesus has literally ripped up the list and throw it away. So if we go and turn the fruit of the Spirit into another list, we're just doing exactly what he spent four chapters telling us not to do, right? The whole point of this letter is don't do that. Instead, Paul wants us to learn to listen to the Spirit of God that's inside us. He wants us, if you like, to embrace what the Spirit's doing inside us and to learn to keep in step with that. How do you do that? Let me show you. Um, I need a volunteer. Uh, Ree, you'll do. Come out here. Thanks for volunteering. Come out here. <coughs> People are so kind. Right. Okay. <coughs> so, Ree, I want you to stand facing this way, facing that way. I'm going to stand this way, right? On the count of three, I want you to just to walk in that direction four or five paces. All right? Yep. One, two, three, let's walk. Right. Right. Are Ree and I in step? Were our feet moving at the same time? You've got no idea. Because I'm over here and Ree's over there. Let's try this again. Come this way. <clears throat> right. If Ree and I, we're now going to walk in this direction together. If we walk in this direction together, ready? One, two, three, walk. Right. How easy is it for us to keep in step? 
Let's give Rhea a hand. Of <laughs> That's fantastic. Well done. <clears throat> Whew, that was hard. <clears throat> the, the, but you, you get the point? This is the picture that Paul's trying to paint for us for how life works with the Spirit of God. He's saying, if you will walk close to Jesus, if you will walk with Jesus, if you will, if you will match your steps to Jesus, that's what he's talking that, That's what it is to walk closely, to keep in, to literally, what he's saying is to keep in step with the Spirit of God. And that only happens if you will walk with him. If you're trying to do that walking this way while the Spirit of God's walking that way, if you're trying to keep in step with someone who's walking way over there, it's almost impossible. I mean, practically, how do we do that? Like, what does it actually mean to walk daily in step with the Spirit? How do you listen to the Spirit of God inside you? How do you keep in step with the Spirit? If you're taking notes, you can write this down because this is going to blow you away. Right, and some of you who've heard me talk for a long while know exactly what I'm about to say. You ready for this? Bible reading and prayer and worship and communion. No. I know. <laughs> Matt, you are so insightful. <laughs> Matt, you must study for weeks to come up with this stuff. We are so lucky. No, no. We don't. <laughs> These are the things that we sometimes call having a daily relationship with Jesus. And that's the reason that we do these things. That's the reason that for thousands of years, Christians have been doing this thing, these things and have been doing them on the daily because it is what's required to keep in step with the Spirit. hungering for him, sort of immersing ourselves in him. In, in other letters that Paul will write, he'll, he'll use another analogy where he'll say, it's like being clothed with Christ. It, it, it's like he's, sort of, he's all over you, being consumed by him. Paul says, when you are with Jesus like this. You will find it so much easier. Like, like that is the way to keep in step with the Spirit. And when you live like that, the fruit of the Spirit will just come. You won't have to try. You won't have to make a list. You won't have to think, what do I need to do to be loving and kind today? That, that in time, those things will just come. And like when you first plant a fruit tree, you know, the, the first year or two that you put a fruit tree in, you might just get an apple or a couple of apples. But as the tree matures and grows and becomes stronger, what happens to the number of apples? They just grow and grow and grow. We planted fruit trees and, and literally the first year or two, you're like, great, we've spent a whole year and I've got one apple. You know, shall we divide it? Uh, you know, shall we divide it four ways? But you know what happens, don't you? Within, within a couple of more years, what's doing it? Now you're trying to find ways to give away apples. You know, you're Googling apple recipes because we've just got so many apples, we don't know what to do with them. And, and Paul's using that analogy and saying, that's what it's like living in step with the Spirit. 
That the more you do this and the longer you do this, the stronger the fruit will become. Friends, there are no tricks. There are no gimmicks. There's no, there's no special book that you need to read or podcast you need to listen to. It's the same things that the church, that the Christian community has been built on for thousands of years. Bible reading and prayer and worship and communion. And when we become a community, when we become a church that understands what Jesus did on the cross for us, when we become a church and a community that embraces the freedom that comes with being built on the death and the resurrection of Jesus, when we become a church that builds our life on these practices, people who keep in step with the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit will just come. As we have a, a daily hunger for the word of God, a desperation to be in prayer with him, not because someone said you have to and oh, I've, you know, I've prayed, but you just want to. When worship becomes something that's not singing songs, but becomes an, you can't wait for an opportunity to just celebrate the goodness of God in song. When we live a life that starts to become consumed by the Spirit and the presence of God, then the, the evidence of that, the fruit of that, will just come. We will just become more loving. We will just become more kind. You will, you will I know it sounds crazy, you will become more patient. Joy will just begin to leak out of you. The fruit of the Spirit is just outward evidence of something that is happening inside you. Just like a fruit tree. You know, a tree full of apples is just evident that you've got a good, healthy fruit tree. So don't go home with a list of things to do because I've read the fruit of the Spirit and it's reminded me that I need to be more patient with my partner. Go home deciding that I want to keep in step with the Spirit of God more. Every day. Not because I'm trying to tick a list of things to do, because that can become a list too, can't it? You know, got to read the Bible, got to pray. Gotta... Not because we want to create another list, but because we are overwhelmed by the reality of what Jesus has done for us. Because we are, I mean, we took communion today because we are overwhelmed by that reality that God loved us so much that he would send his own son to die so that we don't have to. That God knows us and cares for us and loves us so much that he would do anything. He would literally sacrifice his own son so that we could live in relationship with him. And in response to that, we just want to know him. We just want to spend time with him. We just want to love on him and be loved by him. And when we do that and when we live in that way, the fruit of the Spirit will just come. Mm -hmm.